keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing. And I need you to be a minister for a moment and find somebody sit, sitting in your general vicinity. Look them dead in the eyes if they owe you $20. And tell them, neighbor, whatever you do, keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing. It's hard to keep pushing in the world that we're living in right now. How is one supposed to find serenity and sanity and strength in the world we live in right now? Hey everybody and welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. A couple announcements before we get going. Um, I know I was saying I was going to have a retreat in Costa Rica. Unfortunately, some of the planning fell through with the operators down there, so we're looking for a different destination. Probably going to stay stateside for 2023 and do something a little bit closer uh, to home. So uh, rest assured, I will be hosting a retreat this year, just figuring out some details along with a lot of other stuff going on. And I will be sure to update everybody because I got a ton of feedback and a ton of interest in a in-person retreat with me this year. Uh, so stay tuned. That's definitely going to happen. And thank you so much for your patience. As always, if you want to work with me in a one-on-one setting, just head over to www.nicobarraza.com to book a free 15-minute Zoom consultation or just book sessions with me straight away. I would love the opportunity to work with you and to see if it's a good fit. I work with individuals, couples, as well as athletes. So I have Kyle Creek, aka The Captain, on the show this week. Uh, An incredibly interesting human being. This guy's written a handful of of awesome books. Um, he has a no bullshit approach to advice on his social media channel. And I really enjoyed talking with Kyle. Uh, it was just a very upfront, honest, uh, heart to heart conversation about a lot of things. Um, he sent me five copies of his newest book, Speech Therapy, 52 Pick Me Ups to get through many of life's what the fucks uh, to give out to all of you. And I'm just going to read the back of this book uh, for all of you. In life, you'll be misunderstood. At some point, you'll be made out to be something you're not. When this happens, it's not as important to defend yourself as it is to know yourself. Know who you are, know what you mean, and know enough to feel secure even though you're not seen. What a beautiful sentiment. Um, So I'm going to send these books out to five listeners. And the way you can register to, to basically sign up for this giveaway... All you have to do is leave this show, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul, a five-star written review on Apple, as well as a five-star review on Spotify. Screenshot these reviews, send them to me via the via my DMs on Instagram, at that Barraza boy, just to prove that you left the reviews and it's you. Um, and then after, I think, I'll probably wait about a week, after about seven days, I will sort of put the names in a, in a random hat or put it in some sort of random algorithm and pick five lucky people to mail out these, these free copies. Um, or excuse me, I think we have six here. Yeah, six lucky people to mail out these free copies of Speech Therapy by the captain um, out to all of you guys. And this, this book, it's sweet. I've, I've parceled through it um, and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I also enjoy like the, the cover arts and just the, the, the simplicity um, of everything. It's, it's super dope. So, um, awesome. Awesome to, uh, to Kyle for sending these to me to, to be able to provide to all of you guys out there. And I'm excited uh, to get these in the hands of, of everybody. And if you don't know who Kyle is, chances are you probably already follow him. Um, I'm going to throw a link to his website and his social media, as well as uh, an Amazon link to all of his, all of his books as well too. 
in the show notes. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. I took a little, little break, uh, of the podcast. I needed a little break myself, scheduling some new guests now, plan on getting back with it, and I'm glad to be back. Um, I hope you are all doing very well out there. As always, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, Kyle Creek, aka The Captain. Kyle Creek, aka The Captain. Thank you so much, my friend, for joining me on Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Um, I'm I'm happy to have you and to host you here. And again, I know we said this off air, but thank you for rescheduling. I had my wisdom teeth pulled about nine days ago, and so we I had to cancel our first interview. Thanks for being so patient and uh, and being cool with that. And I'm I'm excited to talk to you today and get into your life, your history, and and what brought you into the work you're sharing with everyone on social media, which is inspiring to me as well too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, thanks for having me. I fully understand the oral pain, anything that. <laughs> involves you know a toothache i would not want to be recording or talking either so i get it yeah for sure um you know i i did as much background on you as possible but i want to tell a brief story about my first encounter with your name actually um, so I, I've lived in Flagstaff, Arizona from 2013, uh, just until this past July. I moved back to San Diego for a little bit to get a second shoulder surgery, but Flagstaff is home. And uh, I think it was in 2016 or 2017, um, I had a friend of mine who had just visited me. Uh, she's from, um, this might have been 2018. She's from uh, the East Coast. And she, she, she sent me your Instagram profile. She's like, hey, this guy just left a bunch of books in... Um, mm-hmm. In uh, in I think one of the little like like library things outside of the courthouse there. Do you remember? Yeah, this? that would have. Uh, I love Flagstaff, by the way, Sedona, Hilaire. That would have been 2020. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe it was maybe it was 2020. That makes more sense because it, it was, was probably the, yeah. It was the fall yes. of 2020. I was yep. doing a little bit of a road trip with my girlfriend and our dog just to kind of get out and yep. see something, and we, right. we stopped through Flagstaff, and yeah, right in front of the courthouse. I think I dropped about half a dozen books. Yep. Yep. So I, I live, you know, I, my house is right up the street from that. And, uh, and so she texted me, it was like, probably like, it was like 3 PM mm-hmm. on whatever day you left them. Right. She sent me that story and I was like, Oh, cool. I'll, I'll get them in the morning. And I was like, you know, you left like 11 <laughs> or 15 books. Right. And uh, I was like, ah, they'll be there, dude. And, uh, and I get up in the morning, like 7 AM, I go downtown to get some coffee and I go in there. All the books are fucking gone. Not surprised. You know? And I'm like, dude, who, like, I didn't, I didn't know of you yet. And so I started to, you know, uh, like look at your stuff on Instagram and I'm like, man, this, this guy has a, a huge following because, you know, I mean, if, if Flagstaff isn't a huge town and so for even a fraction of your followers to be from that area or to be paying attention, mm-hmm. that means 11 people, unless someone just swooped them all, which hopefully not, you know, 11 people went to the, uh, to that little, you know, little sort of shared community library and, and grab your stuff. And I was hoping to grab one, um, which is funny because that was my first experience with a captain as an author. And I was like, wow, this guy has has some serious follower and readership because, you know, people don't just, you know, <laughs> leave their homes at 5 p.m. I think it was like on a Thursday or Friday to go <laughs> get books from this random little library on the corner of the street. But but they did. Well, that's uh, that's probably a better first experience than a lot of people have with me. Um, at least it was a positive <laughs> one. I think a lot of people... <laughs> Their first experience is being shared one of my posts that might rub them the wrong way. Um, yeah, I remember that that day vividly, actually. I think on that whole road trip, I probably gave away, I don't know, 100 different books and 8 to 10 of those yep. little free libraries. Over the course of 7 or 8 years, I've probably given away 2,500 to 3,000 books that way. Um, wow. Every time I travel, I usually bring at least a dozen um, I'll sometimes yep. check an extra bag on the plane with me that will have 30 copies of books in it if I know I'm going to be hitting a couple cities. And 
to me, it's just a cool way of kind of, I mean, when you're young, that whole scavenger hunt, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And as adults, I think we kind of, you know, start to think we're too cool or we can't enjoy the little things in life. But I think just that experience of kind of being on a scavenger hunt is fun for people. And I have people write me often and say, I ran out of my house within 30 minutes. I got there within 45 minutes and they were all gone. But it was so fun. It was fun just to, Mm. you know, I had someone tell me they grabbed their kids still in their pajamas, threw them in the car and rushed downtown to try and get one uh, one time when I dropped some. And I just think it's kind of cool to be able to do that. Absolutely. I mean, it just speaks to the, uh, you know, the work itself, because people wouldn't do that unless they found your writing valuable. Right. And I think that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. And, and you kind of led me into this next question is, you know, I know you kind of have like a, a marketing PR background, right. And mm-hmm. what got you into doing this work you're doing? Because y- you didn't start doing this, right. You, you yeah. were, you were making a living doing something else. And then, you know, when did you transition to this kind of no bullshit, you know, in your face, confront oneself and one's ego uh, on social media. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I had a marketing and advertising background. Um, Through most of my 20s, it's how I made my living as a writer. And I was incredibly grateful to be able to do so. I mean, making money writing is not easy. And advertising is a good way to get paid to write. And I learned a lot about writing very succinctly, but also I learned a lot about writing in a no bullshit way in my advertising career because I climbed the ranks of advertising pretty quickly. I wasn't a copywriter for long. Within a few years, I was a creative director and I was running a team myself. And one of the things I told the other writers that worked for me is I said, I don't ever want you to lie in copy. I don't ever want you to say something isn't true. It's not worth it. It's in doing so, you're insulting people by, you know, basically saying, hey, we think you're dumb enough to believe this. And I've just kind of always had that about my character where I've had no patience for the fake. I've had no patience for the pretension. And I've just had no patience for people that just pretend to be something they're not. And it's probably due to my my background growing up LDS. I grew up Mormon. And when I stopped going to church and stopped questioning I mean, started questioning what it was all about. I could not stand people that were fake about it. People that pretended they were still going to church on Sundays, but at the same time were engaging in the same behavior I was. And at least I was, you know, very open about what I was doing, I felt. And so it came from a desire to write honestly myself. And so aside from my advertising career, I started this kind of social media presence as a way to say the jokes I wanted to say or to make the commentary I wanted to make. And I think I've told this on a podcast before, but the captain kind of really began after I'd written quite a few scripts for a, a client for TV and my jokes would get rejected for you know either being too crude or too harsh to air on TV. So I started tweeting my jokes instead and they got you know pretty good attention. So I started thinking, okay... I'll take my A content, uh, the stuff that is really, I think, worth sharing, and I'll just put it on my Twitter and I'll give my clients all the B and C jokes because they're not going to take the good mm-hmm. ones anyway. And mm-hmm. that's kind of when I realized I had a little bit of a potential to make a name for myself as a writer online. And then yep. it became just something that kind of took off the more I did it. And I started diving deeper into what I could comment on. I started getting responses of people talking about how it helped change their perception. And 
it just motivated me to continue observing life the way I was and find unique ways to explain it to people. And eventually, you know, I left my advertising career about five years ago. And now I just, I author books. I occasionally get hired to do some contract work, stuff that I believe in or stuff that interests me. But for the most part, um, I'm a one man band at this point. I love it, man. Self-made as well too. So did you have any sort of like dark night of the soul or I'm sure you did, but like as you kind of progressed into doing more of this, you know, specific writing for, I would say healing, you know, it's, it's therapeutic. You know, obviously you said like, you know, rub people the wrong way. I certainly get that a lot from folks on the internet too. I think a lot of people do who are very just like matter of fact, like, Hey, if you're not dealing with your shit, you know, blaming on anyone else is not going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that, that ethos is kind of an underlying, uh, you know, just, the thesis to most of your writing from what I've known or from what I've read, do you, do you have any like experiences that kind of just open your own mind and open your own soul up during this process of becoming, you know, this basically like internet influencer that, you know, throws out mental, emotional health advice, you know, in a very upfront way. Yeah. I hate the word influencer, by the way, I'm a writer. I, I was going to, um. I was going to, I figured you probably don't like that, but, um, um 2019 was a major shift in my mentality and my life in general. Uh, Prior to that, a lot of what I was writing, it was harsh in the sense that I was looking to elicit a reaction out of people. A lot of it was very comedic. A lot of it was humorous. And I would intentionally write things that I knew were going to be taken out of context just to kind of ruffle feathers because I thought it was fun. Um, In 2019, after I'd left my advertising career, I had moved across country from New York to... Los Angeles, uh, moved in with my girlfriend. We were tired of doing a long distance thing. And I went through a couple months of just not finding work, not finding anything to really motivate me creatively. And it was the first time I'd ever been forced to sit with myself, you know, in my twenties really. And I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I fell apart. And a lot of it was due to the fact that most people in my life knew me as this captain character. They didn't know me as Kyle Creek. And I started the captain character as a way to kind of separate my personal life from my professional life. I didn't want my superiors or my bosses at the time firing me over something I tweeted, you know, because that was something people were very afraid of. So I wanted to have a little bit of, you know, coverage on myself. And I kind of forgot who Kyle Creek was. Um, Granted, everything I wrote up to that point was very much me. It was very much my own observations, but there was still kind of this veil that allowed me to dismiss anything too vulnerable in the sense if I wrote something that I felt kind of crossed the line in vulnerability, I could always kind of back off and be like, oh, that was the captain. That's not me. And so when I had to really come to terms to myself in 2019, I fell apart and I got very dark. Um, I was incredibly depressed. Um, I was no longer distracting myself with work and writing constantly. And I traveled a lot for my job. I was just forced to be alone. And I got, I got suicidal for, for quite a long time and it strained my relationship. And it got to the point my girlfriend was telling me, I'm afraid to go to bed some nights because I, I, I think I'll wake up and you won't be there. And she finally had the foresight and the strength to break it off. And so we broke up and I got myself a hotel room for the night. And I remember sitting in that hotel room, just crying my eyes out and thinking, 
I have to rediscover who I am without this character or without this outlet if I'm going to get past this. And so I put up something on my Instagram page to the effect of, you know, I, I know many of you have been following me for many years and I've throughout this course, I've, I've dealt with a lot of depression that I've hid with my partying, I've hid with my wit, I've used my intellect to try and hide the fact that I was hurting at times. And honestly, I was drinking a lot too. I was kind of partying was my thing. And so I told everyone I needed to take a break from social media and I let them know that I've been in a dark place. And I, at that point, I deleted the app off my phone. I deleted the other social media apps off my phone and I took some time to sit with myself. Um, I experimented with everything I had been opposed to before that. I read books about the dark night of the soul, like you're talking about. I read books about spirituality and growing up religious, I'd gone so far the other direction. I wanted nothing to do with any, any form of higher power. And so I reexamined the way I looked at the universe and my place in it. And when I finally came back to social media, that was when I put my real name on my profile for the first time. That was when I actually put Kyle Creek on my work and not just this captain character. And I was very open about what I was going through. And I received thousands more messages than I ever had before from other men saying, you know, I looked up to you and seeing what you went through, uh, maybe not feel alone. It allowed me to talk about it. It allowed me to seek, you know, a therapist. It allowed me to tell my friends or my family I was hurting. And I received messages from people who said, I wish my son had read this two weeks ago. He just took his life or my husband just killed himself last month. And I wish he had read this before he did it. I think it would have helped him. And when I realized that impact in my work, it shifted the responsibility that I felt I had with as large an audience as I did. And that's when I started making a shift away from just the comical and the humorous observations to the ones that were more meaningful that I felt had longevity to stick around for many years and actually help people. And so you came around after I'd already been doing that for a year or so, it sounds like. And so a lot of the work that you're familiar with is in that vein of seeing through your bullshit and handling it before it becomes something that you know, takes you away. And right. I, t I joke about it now when I tell people, you know, once you admit to half a million people, you want to kill yourself, nothing really bothers you at that point. And right. I mean that in the sense that that was probably the most embarrassing thing that could get out about me because I wanted to have this demeanor that felt untouchable. I wanted to be someone that was seen as strong and someone you couldn't really fuck with. And to admit to people that I was not that, um, particularly as large an audience as I had, I thought for sure people were going to stop following me. I thought people were going to start disregarding my work. And it was very scary for me to do that. But I knew that if I didn't, uh, nothing was ever going to get better. Yep, absolutely. I, I can relate to that story so much, my man. Uh, you know, the the first thing that, that really was interesting is growing up LDS, you know, I've had uh, a couple friends of mine that uh, have left the church on this on the show uh, one most recently Corey Reese who um, is a therapist he's a writer as well too published author and he talks about most of his clients now are people that are transitioning from leaving the Mormon faith and working with them on a lot of different things when you when you redefine spirituality or reconnected with with that how big of an impact was that on your I guess on your healing process and what 
what initiated that? Like what, what made, you know, spirituality? Cause I had the same thing. I grew up Roman Catholic when I was around 12, 13, I started to question it a lot, especially going to Catholic school. Uh, when I got into high school and then undergrad in college, I kind of basically like, suppressed any sort of notion of spirituality or religion because I, I was so put off by it for probably about 10 years, honestly, until I went through a huge separation where I too was very suicidal, suicidal from having a brain injury. Uh, when I was a prophet, I couldn't, couldn't run, couldn't ride my bike anymore. Uh, wasn't making money because of my injuries and got really close to taking my own life. And it was pretty much three months after that where I went to therapy, had this incredible therapist who sort of, um, who was a rabbi actually, and, and helped me sort of reconnect, redefine my own spiritual practice that, that actually really helped me connect with myself again. And when you said that, it just, it was, it's interesting to me because I feel like that's, that's more common than I think. I think you said the appropriate word for it, which was suppressed. Um, yeah. Growing up LDS, when I started questioning it, which was probably around the same age, 13, 14, 15, yeah. I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. My brothers were still very active in the faith. My father was actually a fairly high-ranking member in the church, and I just suppressed everything. Um, and that led to me suppressing a lot of things. I never talked to my parents about what was going on at school. I never talked to my parents about relationships or girls I had a crush on. I didn't talk to my family about anything other than what was directly related to the family or perhaps a hobby that we shared. And it stayed that way for a very long time. I have a great relationship with my family. They never shunned me. They never pushed me away. I still talked with my parents all the time. You know, when I was living in New York, I'd call my mom every other day, but we never talked about anything other than work, uh, maybe upcoming travel I had. And it all started at that age when I felt like I didn't have anyone I could relate to. And so, for me, when I started examining why I had done that and trying to find a larger place in the world, <clears throat> and let's, I'll be honest, I mean, I'm still, I'm still fairly lost in the sense that I don't know what it is. I don't have a concrete definition of how I believe this world works yet, but sure. I do believe there's something connecting us in ways that we can't explain. Um, I think another thing you said that was good about the commonality is in life in general, whenever we leave something, whether it's a relationship or a religion, if we leave something that has a lot of emotion attached to it, I think we tend to overcorrect and we go very far the other direction. And that's what a lot of formerly religious people do. And that's why you go that route of, you know, fuck everything. There's no point to this world. And you stay right. so ingrained in this idea of being anti-everything that right. you realize you become very susceptible to a lot of dumb stuff. Um, my girlfriend right. likes to always say, it's better to be for something than against something. Because when you're so strongly against something, rather than being for anything, uh, you just you have no direction. Um, rebellion right. isn't a direction that's sustainable. Um, so really what it required for me was just self-forgiveness to kind of look back on my 20s and my teen years and realize why I had suppressed so much to not be so hard on myself. And it was that self-suppression that was probably the largest recipe for my depression. That was what caused me to go deep in the hole that I did is I was still suppressing the fact that I wasn't feeling good. I was still suppressing the fact that I was embarrassed or ashamed by things I had done. And that self-forgiveness is what opened my mind up to 
a larger presence. Um, and like I said, I don't know what that is yet. I don't know when I'll figure it out, but I'm open to it and it helps me feel more connected. It helps me feel more positive. And when these weird, you know, synchronicities happen in my life, I can appreciate them as potentially something more as opposed to immediately shunning them and just, you know, chalking it up to coincidence. And right. personally, I find life more enjoyable that way. I find life much more easy to navigate that way. And whether or not it's true, it makes my life better. And so I'm going to stick with it. Absolutely. No, wonderfully said. You know, one of the your most recent posts that I was going to bring up here, and I think this is a good time, is really about victimizing. And you kind of, you know, you brought up like this this idea of cancel culture even before cancel culture really was was termed, right? Um, because basically, you, you're you're so anti spirituality or religion when you come out of it. You know, for most people, you like push it down so much that you're like, you know, it, it's almost like going from being like very spiritual to being atheist in a sense, where it's just kind of the same coin but on a different side of it mm-hmm. and and it's like okay well is this really serving myself right or am i or am i just canceling this because of the pain that i'm in and i haven't processed it right i haven't i haven't actually been curious or investigated it more why do i have a relationship with with faith or with spirituality like this because a lot of people especially growing up in in heavy faith environments they associate faith with spirituality mm-hmm. which which they're actually two different things right faith you know practicing some sort of uh modern religion does not have to be spiritual but it can be and then spirituality does not have to be you know uh dogmatically or you know faith-based as far as a modern religion goes they can they can be separate practices right like for me my spirituality as i define it now is like it could be something that's like going out and sitting by a tree and you know like just thinking about things that connect us like things that i feel that are that are tangible but can't be described like the feeling of love or the feeling of connection with people that really science will probably never explain fully but we know it exists right and so therefore it's something out of our it's something that our senses can feel but it's something that's sort of out of our um i guess uh, perception based on you know study right mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me because when you, when you, this, this post I read about your, about you, which is about victimizing yourself and, and basically encouraging people to stop doing that to take control of the power of choice, which is something I talk a lot about. Was there a particular moment where within that depression, within that, that dark experience that you like were like, okay, I'm pulling myself out of this and I'm actually accepting responsibility for what I'm going through and therefore I can make a choice to heal or to change? Or was that influenced by, outside of yourself like where did that turning point go because a lot of people get stuck in that right in that darkness i don't know if there was a particular moment but there was definitely a thought process behind it and like what you said about the connection or the the disconnection of faith and spirituality the fact they don't have to coexist i had the hardest time with the word forgive i had the hardest time Mm. with the idea of forgiveness because growing up I'd always been taught forgiveness is something Jesus does for your sins. Forgiveness is something that allows you to go to heaven. And so someone even muttering the idea of forgiving myself triggered me in a sense that it made me just push away because it felt too religious to me. And so interesting. it wasn't until I truly accepted the fact, and this was after reading a lot of books, spending a lot of fucking money on therapy and really kind of examining what had wired me that I, I, became okay with the idea of forgiving myself. And it wasn't until I was able to forgive myself that I was able to stop looking at myself as a victim to situations that happened to me younger in my life. And whether it's because the situation was wholly not your fault 
or because the situation happened at a time when you just didn't know better. Um, I can't remember where I heard this recently, but someone was talking about the fact that the, the hard part about looking to the past is we're looking at it with a mind that now has a lot more knowledge. And so we judge ourselves differently than we would in that time period. Like if I look at myself in my 20s and think I did something really stupid, I had no idea what I was going to know now. I had no idea what I was going to learn. And looking back with a now mature, knowledgeable mind, it's easy to get down on yourself. And that's when you start to victimize yourself. You start to get down on yourself. You look at yourself in a, a light that's less than flattering and honestly a light that's not even realistic. Um, you hold yourself to standards that aren't there. And for me, being able to forgive myself really helped me pull out of that rut. But the post in particular that I think you're talking about is, I think, one I shared, reshared a couple of days ago that kind of always, every time I reshare it, gets a lot of criticism. Um, right. It's hard for people to hear that you have the power to change your life mm-hmm. if you're not ready because... In order for you to accept the fact that you can change it, you have to also accept the fact that you may have caused it. And it's yes. a lot easier for people to live in this state of deniability and blame it on external sources. And mm-hmm. that's why I've, I've noticed my messages that are meant to be empowering are generally the ones that have the most blowback in terms of people being upset, people messaging me to tell me they're unfollowing me. It's because when you're not ready, it is very hard to hear that. Um, yep. And I tell, I'll, I'll write people that tell me they're going to unfollow me and I'll say, that's okay. You're on a different pl- path. You're not there yet. Yeah. But trust me, at one point in your life, it, it will make sense to you, hopefully. And you'll look back and you'll understand what I was trying to communicate. And I'm not saying right. everything that I write is absolute truth. I'm not some sure. god or some cult leader, but... I feel I have a pretty good understanding of life and I've been through a lot of life and I spend a lot of time sitting and thinking on things and being a victim has never helped anybody. It's okay to be a victim. Like at one point you were a victim, but continuing to victimize yourself. And I think what I wrote in that post is when you victimize yourself, you make yourself your own worst enemy because you're the only one still reliving that experience. You're the one still beating yourself up over something that happened. No one else is doing that to you but yourself. So at that point, you're now the enemy. You're now the villain in your own story. Yep. And it's just, it's hard to hear that when you're not ready for it. It is. I I get similar responses and, you know, and I think that the interesting thing is, is that, uh, you know, you're, and, and you, you have this, you have the same sentiment that I do is that, you know, uh, recognizing that you were a victim or that you're experiencing victimhood is one thing. Ruminating on it and then absorbing it and embodying victim mentality is is going to oppress everything you do. Every It takes your power away, which you talk about, right? And so it's interesting to me because your, your words are very succinct, right? When I read them, I'm like, yeah, totally agree with that. But when a when a human being that reads them who is triggered sees it is that is they basically see that you're uh, victim shaming right and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll say the thing to me and and i think the problem with that is is in our culture we have actually empowered people to use their own victimhood to stay hidden just because of the, the narrative we we sell on the internet a lot right it's like okay well if someone says something and you're triggered well all of a sudden you can raise hell cancel someone the all the bees come out of the beehive and then this thing happens right and and i think that 
that is warranted sometimes when someone says something that's insanely grotesque. But when you're talking about empowering people, I think especially this happens in like the clinical setting in counseling or therapy, like a lot of times, you know, people are paying a counselor therapist merely just to hold space for them, which I think is a beautiful thing. But I think why people seek to work with me out or to work with me uh, specifically is because, you know, they know that when they come to the room, I'm going to hold space for them. But after a while, we're going to get to fucking work right? We're going to be real honest about where we've put ourselves in our own life. And even, even how we speak to ourselves, like, well, I'm feeling this way because this person did this. I'm like, I believe you, but why are you in a relationship with that person? If it's been happening over and over and over again, right? Who's deciding that it's, it's, it's the self, right? I'm deciding it. No one's forcing me to be here. Right. And I think that when you have this huge personal accountability, it makes life far more vast. Like you have all these choices, but it makes life very heavy too, because all of a sudden you realize you have to look in the mirror. And a lot of people, they don't want to fully do that because it it's really fucking painful. Right. It's, and so I was just going to say, it's, it's fucking hard to come to terms yeah. with the fact that you are in control of a lot more than you're giving yourself credit for. Cause now yes. you wake up every day and you think, damn, I have to handle this, 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 and this, as opposed to waking up and thinking you're just going to go to work and let the rest of you know let the rest of life happen to you right absolutely so quickly though I, what I, you I, said I, did. I didn't mean to cut you off um it's okay when you said people use victimhood to stay hidden i would argue people use victimhood to avoid but the problem with society is people can now use victimhood to get attention and uh, yes. it's the exact opposite of being hidden because now it's a game of who is the bigger victim, who can share the worst story, who can get the most likes for their victimhood. So yeah. that is that alone is why the comment section of a controversial post just goes haywire. Everyone's trying to compete right. for whose story is going to get the most likes, who's going to get the most replies of people, you know, applauding them or, you know, su- suggesting that what they went through is the worst thing ever. And that's not to say a lot of it isn't hard. A lot of stuff people go through genuinely is fucking painful and very scarring. And it's going to, you know, it's going to affect you for a long time. But using your victimhood to avoid the fact that you can now pull yourself out of it if you want. And on the flip side, using it to gain followers or gain attention online is what I think is the most toxic and poisonous use of social media and it's honestly why I post less and less these days than I used to because I don't think social media, I don't think it ever was a source of like pure entertainment or fun. But I do think the last couple of years, as far as entertainment is concerned, social media has definitely shifted away from that and become a, a vessel of negativity more so than ever. And so I pop in, I like to be active on it, but as far as me like scrolling and participating in it, it's just it's hard for me to want to do it because I just don't think, I don't think society collectively has the right, the right view of life right now. Yeah. I, I agree. I think for, for a lot of intensive purposes, social media has been more of a negative in society, mostly because the way people use it, right? It's not the tool, mm-hmm. it's the crafter, you know? And, and I really think it's perpetuated from a lot of different things throughout history, throughout you know, societal influence or culture as well too. Um, but I appreciate you, you kind of being specific about 
the dichotomy within someone using victimhood to sort of gain notoriety and gain following because I, I certainly understand that too, specifically when someone uh, internalizes a post that's meant to be general. For instance, like uh, one of the most controversial things I'll talk about is staying friends with an ex, right? Having a healthy um, separation with someone that you love. And, and a lot of people will be like, this is impossible. Like they're going to cheat on you if they're friends with their ex. I'm like, hold on a second. Like you, you're telling me because of your experience that this is going to be the case for everyone. And that's not okay. Like it depends on the relationship, right? It's very situational. It's, it's like, are there boundaries? Is there a healthy connection there? Is it not, you know, sex or, 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 um, relationship based anymore? Like people can just be friends after they separate, right? And they don't just have to have kids with each other. But the thing is, if I'll, I'll post something on that, it's very general. I'll get 10 or 20 comments from people that are just ripping it apart and they'll share their own personal story. And although I have deep reverence for the pain, as you, as you said, like people go through genuine pain, right? When they've been hurt, it just doesn't apply to everyone else all the time. And that's people's main issue is that when they're triggered, all of a sudden they think that their pain is applicable to everybody, right? Because of their situation, because of their subjective trauma. And that's just not the case. And until we process that trauma and can look at it from a window outside of where it lives, we, we can't fully understand how it's just not applicable to every situation. And, and we can kind of prevent ourselves from being jaded. Whereas the opposite happens when we just stick onto that trauma is we become victims. We live in a victimhood mentality and we, we become jaded and basically subjectify life that every time this happens, it's going to end up the same way. Yeah, I think until you've healed or moved past what hurt you, you internalize everything as personal um, because you're still having this battle within yourself and you're not ready to move on. So it's very easy to continually load fodder into the cannons that you're firing at yourself. And right. I agree. I think that's why empowering messages are usually very... Um, controversial is because there's always going to be a, a group of people who takes it personal because yep. they're obviously dealing with something personal and they're not ready to look at it. Like you said, from that subjective, you know, 10,000 foot view of the greater scheme of how that might apply to life or how it might apply to others. Um, and that's why that victim shaming thing I think comes up is, you know, when you talk about victimizing yourself and not to harp on this topic more, it's really a case-by-case -case basis, too, as far as how easy it is to pull yourself out of that victimhood. I mean, it's much easier to pull yourself out of a victimhood of, you know, being fired or having a bad relationship with a co-worker than it is to pull yourself out of being cheated on or being abused by someone you deeply romantically love. Um, right. It's not to say that they're all the same. It's not to say there isn't levels, that there isn't time differences and how long it might take. But the truth is, until you decide to make that change, it's never going to fucking change. Yep. That is the biggest boulder people, you know, tend to struggle with. And, and it's interesting because we can relate any sort of human behavior to addiction, right? Because then the mind is an addictive thing. We're addictive animals in nature. And so it doesn't have to be like a substance addiction, but it could be a process addiction, which is like a behavioral thing. Like, you know, I'm addicted to depressive, sad thoughts. I'm addicted to feeling angry about something, being triggered, right? And when we look at addiction, like at a uh, clinical level, like people in AA, like by far the most impactful things is is being in a community that's supportive and admitting that you're, you you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then seeking help with that problem. And then also abstaining, right? Doing everything you can from allowing that thing to 
you know, reintegrate itself into your life. And part of that is, is getting into a higher power, building, building spirituality. There's the whole thing with a 12 step process, but I almost view that as a sort of, um, framework for healing anything inside ourselves, right? Because we have to first say, yeah, I actually do have a problem with this. It's not just everybody else, right? I, I am the common denominator in all these relationships, you know, looking at my own behavior, mm-hmm. looking at my own anger, my own resentment, my own sadness, right? Um, but a lot of folks, they don't want to do that because it's that big boulder of finally like having to pick up and be like, all right, I have to fucking do this work now, right? And along with like parenting or work or putting food on the table, it, it's probably the most exhaustive work you're going to experience, but also the most fruitful in your life because it'll change the way you perceive everything, including yourself. My only criticism of AA, and this is because I've had family members sure. go through it, is yeah. I believe AA doesn't do a good job empowering the individual enough. I almost view AA as another form of religion where people become dependent on their AA group or their sponsor, or they become so dependent on the next coin or medallion they're going to earn that they actually don't realize they can heal themselves without all these other people. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that it's very beneficial. Like you said, People need community. They need people they can right. fall back on. And I think a lot of the steps in AA are phenomenal. And, you know, obviously, if it works for you, it works for you. But just in what I've seen, and again, this is from my personal experience. It doesn't apply to everybody. Sure. Um, I, I've seen it actually just almost create another cult-like mindset where people feel like without their AA, they're nothing. And mm. okay. maybe it's because I'm very critical or aware of anything that feels religious or anything that feels that level of suppression based to me where it kind of forces you to to kind of almost group think in a way Mm -hmm. um but really i think what we're talking about here when you talk about the boulder and come to terms with it is it's just change change is scary. Change in any form is scary. And when you make the decision that you're going to change your life, um, particularly at that level, it's overwhelming. It's hard to think of all the things you have to do differently. Or that's the one really positive thing about AA is it gives you a steps. It gives you a guideline to follow, which helps you kind of eliminate some of that overthinking. It helps you feel, you know, from feeling overwhelmed. But it's the overwhelming idea that keeps people from making the first move. And this is very Mm -hmm. similar to, you know, writing a book, for example. Um, When I start another book or other books I have written, if I think of the whole book, it's very daunting. And it almost makes me not want to start. But if I can dissect it down and say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to work two hours a day. And over time, it's going to lead to this large piece that's worth publishing it makes it easy. It's just a small decision I make every day that over six months ends up with a book. And similarly with life, or I like that you brought up the example of having kids or parenting because when I found out I was going to be a dad, it was probably the most fear inducing thing I've ever heard. Um, Not in the sense that I didn't think I was capable, but in the sense that I just knew a lot in my life was going to have to change very quickly in order for me to actually show up for my girlfriend, the mother of that child, and to show up for that unborn son of my time as well. And right. the idea of all that change just scared me. 
and I backtracked and I fell deep into some old patterns and I started drinking again and I became an awful, very unsupportive partner for a while. And then finally, after a month or so, um, I was able to pull my head out of my ass and I look back on it now and I'm incredibly embarrassed. Um, I apologize profusely quite often mm. to it, uh, to my girlfriend about it because I just, I don't know what I was going through at the time. It was in 20, it was during 2020. It was when the world was shut down and I was trying to figure out what my next move in life was going to be or how I was going to financially continue to pay for our house. And so I was really stressed by a lot of things and it, uh, it, it was that overarching thought of everything that just drove me drove me backward but once i started thinking of it piece by piece this 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 and this i was able to lean into it and accept it and be excited about it and honestly i could not picture my life not being a father now i would never want to go back to not being a father i think it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me um, yeah. everything I was afraid was going to happen didn't happen. It made me more creative. I'm more productive now because I've learned to manage time differently. Um, I spend less time thinking about bullshit because I understand it's just not pertinent or relevant to my day. And it's just made me a better person. And I'm so grateful that I was finally able to lean into it and accept it and make the changes I had to make. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, I think that's just a testament to, I think, you know, children can bring that out of people. Not always. It's, it's, it's a choice, right? Depends mm-hmm. on what you do with it from that point. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, go a different direction when they, when they f- experience that adversity or that stress and that huge responsibility that is like being responsible for the life of, of another human being and help mm-hmm. raising it. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you have people that, uh, you know, either, blow up in the comment section or, or they, you know, they kind of, let's see, emotionally vomit their own experience. Um, do you engage with them at all? Like, do you, do you try to, you know, like reconnect or do you, you know, cause having such a big following, sometimes it's really hard. Right. But if, if there's a comment that's getting a ton of likes and a ton of interest, are you, do you engage with, with that? Or do you kind of just let that, you know, manifest in however way it manifests and let other people respond? Uh, prior to 2019, I engaged with everyone. Um, after yeah. my whole depressive episode, I realized a lot of it was me taking on the weight of too many other people's emotions. Um, sure. At the time, I was also running a dating column called Dear Captain, where I weekly addressed you know, some pretty heavy topics, and yep. it just weighed on me too much. So prior to 2019, yep. I would answer them. Now, if it's in the comments, I pretty much ignore them. I, I rarely read my comments now because it's right. just... just just too many and it's too much weight for me to internalize. I need to be able to show up yep. for the people in my life at that moment more so than I feel I need to show up for people in the comments. Now, yeah. if it's a DM and someone sends me a very heartfelt message, I can tell they put some time behind or they are genuinely looking for feedback. I'm pretty good at responding to those. Right. Um, I get and emails as well. If people respond to my newsletters with something, I try to respond to those. DMs, but for the most part, I kind of just let the comment section be what it is. It's like the Wild West. Um, I usually, I I have a very good following too, where I've noticed that if someone does come into the comments with something seeking help, a lot of people will offer very good advice. Um, That's one of the good things about the longevity I've had with the audience I've created. It's very supportive. Um, People who have been along 
with me for my wild ride of life um, mm -hmm. are usually pretty sound, pretty grounded. And so I have faith that the person's going to get what they're seeking in that comment section. And mm -hmm. I don't block anyone. I've never blocked anyone. I've never deleted a comment. So the ones that are really bad, I mean, I just leave them there and I just figure, okay, you know, let the chips fall as they may and see what happens. But um, I, I don't agree with removing negative comments sure. because I want my page and I always have one in my page to be an honest expression of life. And sometimes life is very fucked up and sometimes life makes no sense and sometimes life is negative. And so if people want to go in there and troll and try and take over a conversation, that just happens. And right. you have to learn to deal with it. I think removing those comments almost creates a false perspective in the section of how people are really perceiving what's being said. And I want people to know that you're going to have to deal with criticism if you want to have a voice. And I talk about this to other writers when they ask me for advice is until you develop some pretty thick skin, you're never going to get anything written. That's, that's good. Um, right. If you write with the intention of trying to avoid criticism, you're not going to write honestly. You're not going to write authentically. At that point, you're writing for other people. And when you're writing yep. for someone else, you're not really writing what resonates with you. And so I like to leave it there because it's just a constant reminder for me to continue writing regardless of how it's received. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think, you know, I try to be conscious about, you know, being as, as holistic as possible in my writing. Cause obviously, you know, I have my own subjective experience too. And I try to, you know, be as low bias as possible on anything I say or I write just because I realize that everyone's absorbing it from their lens. Right. And I try to be, but, but of course you're going to trigger people no matter what, right. Depending mm -hmm. on how they're viewing it. Um, and so with that said, you know, I, I just understand that people are going to, the only things I'll delete is when someone's attacking another person. Like if there is like a personal attack going on, I'll take that out because I just, that's not what my page is for. And people can, can get to that space. Unfortunately, when they feel so triggered, they'll just be like, Hey, I'm going to start attacking either a person in their comments or me. You know, if they're respectful and they disagree and they're just pissed off, I let that stay anytime. So, but I have like my own policy where it's like, if someone is, is personally insulting another person because they're triggered, that's just no go. Like I don't so, want to be spoken to that. You know, I was going to say, yeah, I jump into the comment section when that's happening. I don't delete right. the comment, but I will right. get in there with some cunning, very witty remarks and I'll put that person right. in their place. And right. Honestly, 90% of the time, they end up deleting their original comment because right. if I get in there and comment just the way the algorithm is, it highlights their comment and they start getting so many notifications or they start getting so many pings of people right. either responding, they'll delete their comment just because they can't handle the attention that I'm going to bring to it. And so right. I, I do police the comments in the sense that I look at them every so often to see if someone's doing that. And if I have a way to kind of put them in their place, I will. But I won't yeah. delete it. My I goal is it, to try and say something that makes them delete it. Like I want to, I'm going to empower them to remove their own stupidity. Yep, yep. That's that's definitely interesting. So, what do you what are you working on right now? You know, you you, you pump these books out. I, I love like the simplistic cover design. By the way, I, I yeah, definitely dig it. That. Um, what you know, what, what's what's on the what's on the docket for you? What's coming out? Where can people connect with you? I have a children's book that I've had written for about a year. My father's illustrating it. He's been an artist his whole life. And so we're doing this project together that 
is hopefully going to be published in time for the holidays. I say hopefully because the book has been rejected, I think, 13 times by publishers at this point. And okay. I have my own theory as to why it's being rejected, but it's a great book. I'm stoked on okay. it. And if I were a kid, it's the lesson or message I would have wanted when I was younger. And mm -hmm. so that book's going to be coming out. But then on a larger scale, I'm working on my most difficult project yet. And I actually consider it my first real book. Um, I think everything I've done to this point was just practice. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've told this to my agent where I said, this book is actually, this is, this is what I consider a real book. And it's not going to have the captain anywhere on the cover. Um, every book I've released, the seven books I've published have all been published under the captain. This will not have the captain's name on it. This is Kyle Creek. Okay. This is not um, me being any kind of public figure. And so that alone, uh, I think, alludes to the magnitude of it. My decision to kind of divorce myself from the name that got me a lot of notoriety and fame, honestly. Right. Um, but yeah, then aside from that, I have a couple projects I'm working on. Like I said, I get contract work from people. Uh, I'm, I'm doing some ghost writing for uh, some other individuals right now, which okay. is, is good because it kind of forces me to hone my craft in the sense that if you can, I think if you can ghost write really well as a writer, it, it mm -hmm. shows your ability to kind of look at things from an, an objective perspective and look at things mm -hmm. in a way that's not so personal. And I think it helps you just kind of formulate thoughts in uh, in better ways. And so I, I took on some of that this year because it's just kind of like me being an eternal student of the craft and trying to become a better writer myself. Yep. Um, but yeah, those are probably the main things I have going on. I have some other stuff here and there that I can't really talk about. But if if it comes to fruition, it'll be, it'll be substantial and fun. Stuff I'm excited about. I mean, there's been projects I've been working on for four years plus just waiting for the right network or the right um, executive to kind of green light them to be filmed and produced. And so um, awesome. I, I stay busy and I'm trying to be very selective with the work I take on um, mm -hmm. in the sense that writing is what got me to where I'm at and writing is where I plan to spend the majority of my time. Uh, I get mm -hmm. offers for, you know, hosting gigs, or I get offers for other projects that kind of pull me away from writing. And I'm trying to turn those down because I know that if I don't continue writing, I'm not going to feel as fulfilled. And I'm also not going to have the longevity I'd like to have as a creator. Um, I'm not looking for a quick buck. I'm not looking to, you know, make a bunch of money and disappear. I'm looking to have a, a life and a career that is meaningful. And it requires me to to be fairly selective and also requires me to be fairly humble at times. And it's, uh, it's good. I feel like this year is probably going to be one of my most trying years as a creative, but also the most rewarding. Mm -hmm. I love that anticipation, man. It's, it's positive. And I, I dig that you have so much, so many amazing things happen in your life. Um, I'm going to put the link to all your books to be on Amazon and how people can connect with you on social media in the show notes here, everybody. So go connect with Kyle. Uh, he's got some incredible content and some awesome advice. And I just want to reiterate, like, I appreciate your no bullshit, um, you know, just perspective on 
on life and on living. You know, it's refreshing. Uh, I tend to gravitate toward those kind of people, especially on Instagram. Um, you know, I, uh, my friend John Kim, who's a therapist out of LA, is you know similar in that vein. Is that the uh, is that the angry therapist guy? Angry therapist. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen this stuff. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, appreciate you, man, coming on the show. I would love to have you back on when you have the children's book or a new new work coming out. We can Absolutely. talk about that. I, I'm really, I'm interested in the children's book. I've been looking for a book to recommend to, to um, you know, friends that have that have children, you know, are, around that vein. So definitely well, that, keep me posted. That was kind of my rationale behind it. And just to like talk about it more. I mean, the issue I'm running into is I've been told that publishers don't believe I can transition from my no bullshit advice to a children's book. They don't think hmm. that my messaging can be brought down to a level that's, uh, I guess you could say appropriate for kids. And I think it's just the biggest load of shit I've ever heard. <laughs> um, and I may end up self publishing a book. I'd prefer not yeah. to, but if that's where it comes, um, cause I believe in my work, I believe in what I'm doing. If that's sure. what has to be done, I'll do it. And so, Right. Meaning all support is much appreciated. And you say you're in San Diego now? I'm in San Diego, yeah, for, for at least a few more months. I'll be back okay. in Arizona at some point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually might be in San Diego in a few months to do a book sign. I was actually born in El Cajon. Cool. Um, oh, rad. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Utah when I was a baby, though. I don't have much memory of living in California. I just have the birth certificate, right. but I grew up in Utah my whole life. And uh, okay. yeah, if not, maybe we'll connect when I'm in Sedona or Flagstaff. Again, I love that area. Absolutely, man. It would be great to meet you, and I, I would absolutely... Um, pick up a book too and we could chat maybe maybe do another little recording in person it would be mm-hmm. it would be a treat that'd be cool all right thank you man i appreciate that kyle thank you so much my man and i look forward to seeing you soon i wish people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame and so that they could see that it's not where you're going to find your sense of completion everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart and all that will be left of you is what was in your heart and your